Hi, everybody. Welcome to Discover College Soccer. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Coach Stan from Taylor University in Indiana. Welcome, Coach. Thank you so much. Good to be on. Yeah, I'd love to have you here. Uh, got a nice women's program in the NAIA, just uh, northeast of Indianapolis up there. Um, That's correct. So we're we're in March. It's uh, the the showcase season. Uh, everything happening around here. At least I know. Last weekend in Bradenton, we had ECNL and IMG Cup. So uh, I'm sure you're you're staying busy. Are you wrapping up the the 23s right now, or is that already done? Kind of what's your calendar when it comes to recruiting? Um, for us, well, we've actually wrapped up the 23s. We have an incoming class of 12, which is really really good. Uh, we have most of the 24s either committed or signed at this point. We're still looking for a couple couple players but we found uh maybe it's just our location but if if we're not getting the commitments by spring of their junior year um it's actually getting a little bit late for us at that point so that was about six or seven years ago we started moving things up just because the players and a lot of these really smart young ladies didn't want to think about it their senior year and they just wanted to cruise through school and enjoy it and so we <laughs> met their timeline and gives us a little reassurance too yeah, well, I can't, can't blame them for that. Um, well, you're, you're lucky enough to be, uh, you know, so close to Grant Park and, and the soccer facilities there. But what are some of, like, the major tournaments and places you go or, or things you'd like to see players at? So we we tend to stay local and then take one long recruiting trip a year. So Grant, Grant Park usually has a – well, seems like it was a couple, but now it's many events. So we're usually there once in the fall, and we usually hit April, their Crossroads Tournament. And in the winter, they do a decent amount of things indoors with their three full-length soccer fields, which is really, really nice. So it gives us a chance to get out in the winter and see some kids that normally we would just be hibernating around here. Um, <laughs> then we we went to something down at Warren County two weekends ago. And then a lot of times we'll also go down to the Blue Chip in Cincinnati. And then for us, it's been really, really good about every other year to go out to Las Vegas to either the Maris Cup or the Players Showcase. So we're going out to the Players Showcase next weekend, and we actually have a signing out there, a young girl from California, but her grandparents live in Las Vegas. Uh, and she'll be the third girl that we signed in Las Vegas. So that's been really, really good for us. Wow. Okay. What about camps? Do you guys do any ID camps, or does your staff work any external camps? Um, our staff, which is me and my assistant coach, Morgan Arm, we – we usually do not work external camps, but we do two ID camps ourselves. We always have a fall and a spring. So for us, the fall one is usually right before playoffs start. And for a lot of the high school girls, it's winding down their fall season. They're usually done with state playoffs then. And then in the spring, it's, it's actually coming up this Saturday for us. And we only do two. And for us, um, it's not, it's honestly not a fundraiser. It's about finding the players that will be on our team. And I think statistically about 70 to 80% of any class have been to an ID camp. Wow. That's, that's a large number. All right. Yeah. Well, very large. whether it's at a camp or a showcase or, or any of those things, kind of what makes up your hierarchy of things that you're looking for in a player, whether that's on the field stuff or, or off the field stuff? Sure. Well, first they have to fit what Taylor is also looking for. So, um, we're what they call a discipleship-based Christian school. So we're asking pretty much the kids need to have a relationship with Jesus and want to grow in their faith or Taylor soccer isn't the best fit. So there's other Christian schools that will take anyone and try to convert them as they come in. And that's not what we're doing. We're just trying to disciple and grow. Uh, academically, we've been number one ranked in U.S. News and World Report, I believe, 
I might be wrong by a year, but 21 of the last 25 years have been ranked the number one academic school in the Midwest. So a lot of our incoming players are in that 3.7 to 4.0 range. And then they have to be able to play soccer at a high level. Because I, I think you spoke with Spring Arbor. Didn't you speak with Jason recently? Uh, I can't remember, to be honest. Okay, well, anyway, <laughs> for our NAI conference, we, we went to nationals last year and Grace went to nationals. And Marion was the national runner up and Spring Arbor was the national champion. So our, our conference is really tough. So we're looking for really high level players. Um, we've actually had three go on and play after college from here. Uh, Christian kids who are also very smart. And for us, the pre-med niche is also really, really strong. Okay. Well, one of the things uh, us parents are always concerned about is, okay, how sure. much is this going to cost me? <laughs> so, yep. um, you know, not holding you to hard numbers here, but just give me sure. a rough overview of what an average player is going to come in looking at from a soccer scholarship perspective, a potential academic money, tuition, room. Yep. So we stack academic and sports scholarships, but our average player is actually paying a lot of money still, at least in my book, it's a lot of money. So if we're getting those students that are, say, a 4.0, they're probably going to get somewhere between 16 and 20,000 academic money a year. And I believe room board and tuition is slightly over $49,000. And our average soccer player is going to get four to 10 in that range. So I think on average, most of our players are probably paying eighteen dollars to $25,000 a year, somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark, which is real money. And so for them, it's, it's a true commitment to being here and wanting what Taylor has to offer. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing uh, that, that is maybe a slightly odd about your roster as an NAI school is I didn't see a whole lot of foreign countries there. Uh, no, so, no. So are you guys doing uh, any international recruiting? Are you looking at the transfer portal at all? Does that fit into your recruiting process in any way? Transfer portal actually does not fit into our recruiting profile at all. We've, we've had three, maybe four transfers in my 15 years. So sometimes we have a couple, we'll have a D1 transfer. Um, we had one from Xavier and, oh, I can't remember, one from Marshall, I believe. And, and those girls did well, but they went to a school that just didn't fit what they were looking for, like personality-wise more than soccer-wise. And internationally, um, we've had girls like, we had one, Rachel German, and it listed Thailand as her, as her home, but she was actually a missionary kid. So she wasn't Thai. The only international foreign student we've had was Lindley Tu, and she was the, the captain of the Chinese under-21 national team. And she's, she's playing professionally in Iceland now. My wife and I flew over and watched her play last year. But for the most part, we just find that either the internationals that we've talked to are not looking for the Christian school experience or they just they don't really have the budget to come to come here and play. So we don't have tons of scholarship money. And a lot of times that profile just doesn't fit. So for us, having for four years and developing seems to make a lot more sense. Oh, that, that does make sense. Well, let's talk about the school itself. Uh, we, you've sure. talked, you said a few things that you've got 15 years there, so you get a, a nice uh, background yeah. for us. So, yeah. so what are some of the great things about Taylor that maybe we're not going to learn just by going through the website? Um, I think sometimes people look at, at Christian schools and think, well, they're, they're all pretty similar. Um, and maybe from a faith background, that's true. But I think Taylor, the extremely high academic profile 
is unusual sometimes for Christian school and also unusual for the NAI. Um, a lot of times you would be thinking like the elite D3 kind of academic profile, but that's also what Taylor is like. So a student that would look at Williams or um, Wheaton is a kind of student that would also be looking at Taylor. Uh, academically, also sometimes we find that Christian schools do not always put as much emphasis on the sciences as Taylor does. So my wife is chair of the chemistry department. She's been here 22 years. And I believe for women chemistry pre-meds, they're 100% in admissions going to medical school. So it's a very strong program. Um, we're also nationally known for film and media and they're building a brand new building because the program is exploding with students in that. Um, obviously you can get great degrees in business, um, but that doesn't really set Taylor apart. I believe it's truly the sciences the, the faith-based studies, um, and even things like exercise science leading to PA school and um, PT school, where we're pretty much 100% on a lot of those fields as well, getting students in. Um, they're just extremely well-prepared. So I would encourage people to look at it academically as well. It's just faith-based. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, those high academic standards, how do your players really balance those commitments between their sport and between the high academic standards? And, and what kind of support systems does the university have to help? That's a actually a really, really good question. So our players have strong GPAs as high schoolers, and they seem to continue that. So we have a thing called Student Athlete um, Academic Services, where they take a seminar coming in their, their first semester. They kind of get them on track, and they're introduced to things that they don't always understand that they've paid for as part of their tuition. Like there's counseling services available to them and that's part of it. They just make an appointment. They don't pay extra for that. We have a writing center that works with students on papers. So one of the things is if you got a C on your first paper and you come work with us on the next one, we guarantee a letter grade higher. We have an academic enrichment center that does a very similar thing with testing. And then the one that I think is, is really cool is that any student at any time can get tutoring in any class and that's actually um, done through the library, but they make an appointment and it sends an email to the student as a reminder, it sends an email to the tutor. And the perception at Taylor is because there's so many students going into the medical field and they're all getting tutoring, that if you're getting tutoring, you're smart. And so there's no, there's no stigma on it or nobody's looking down on you. It's like, oh, dumb jock getting tutoring. It's like, everybody's getting tutoring. And I believe it was two years ago. I don't know if the numbers have come out yet for this year, but like, Taylor Women's Soccer had the highest GPA of any, any NAIA program in the nation, and we didn't do any team study tables. So they're just doing that on their own. And I think it also helps that our coach buses have Wi-Fi and they do papers and stuff after games on the way back and all those modern things that didn't exist when we were playing. But yeah, lot, lots of support and also being mentored by teammates that are in similar fields of study. You, you mean your, your players aren't uh, driving the 15-passenger vans themselves like we had to do? <laughs> no, thank goodness. Well, yeah. you, you know, you mentioned doing papers on the on the bus and, and managing yeah. time. So can you take me back to the fall, kind of walk me through what a, a standard week schedule might look like in terms of when classes and meals and practice and the game cadence and all that kind of stuff looks like? Yeah, I it really does seem like a lot when I compare it to high school, but when I think that they do high school and club, it actually seems much more balanced and manageable. So typically um, a non-science student would be in class Monday, Wednesday, Friday for three or four hours or three or four classes and probably one class on a Tuesday, Thursday, it's a little bit longer. 
uh, in that time, if they were injured or needing treatments, they would probably go see the athletic training staff about an hour before practice. And then we have kind of a, a dead time at Taylor between four and six where students can be doing sports practice or play practice or music lessons, which is really nice. It's a carved out time for extracurricular. So they're for the most part, not missing things. There's occasionally night class conflicts. There might be an adjunct teaching that can only come at a certain time, but a lot of the schedules built around that. So our team would be going to class like normal students. They'd probably have an hour or two gap in their day for some study or downtime. They would come out to practice, getting ready around 3, 3.30. We start at 4, go till about 6 o'clock. They always go to dinner together as a team in the fall. Um, that's a required thing, and they just enjoy doing that anyway. And then evening would be study time, and that would just be like on a normal kind of practice day. On a game day, I think we're lucky that our furthest game in our conference away is Mount Vernon, which is about four hours in the bus. So that day would be the longest day of the year if it was away. And we would probably be getting ready to go 10 in the morning um, for seven o'clock kickoff and getting back to Taylor around two the next morning. And then, yes, they are truly getting up for their eight o'clock classes. Um, they can sleep on the bus, but they can't miss class. That's kind of one of the, the expectations for them. But typically, a, a lot of our games are only two hours away. So even on a game day, it's not too much to expect them to get their homework done on the bus. We'll be back between 10 and midnight, which is when they're going to bed anyway, normally. But being organized is a key. And I think that for the most part, at pretty much any school, athletes manage their time very well and probably even better in their fall season when they're the busiest because they, they don't have the time to ignore, delay, take extra naps. They just kind of structure their schedule and get it together. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think you... you you're probably the, the the fifth interview in a row I've had where the coaches said, you know, they always do better during season. And, and yep. I've always found that to be my case as well. Oh, my mine years, too. So 100%. Yeah. Yep. Well, yep. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about the, the, the soccer side of things. Sure. Um, is it, I guess it's more recruiting related. You say you wrapped up your class. Is there a roster size that you find is ideal that you try to get around every year? Um. We're typically asked to bring in seven to eight players per year. That's kind of a goal number for our program. Uh, and this year is 12, which is, is crazy. But an ideal roster size would be somewhere between 28 and 32. So if you just average that out, it's around 30. I think we're going to have 32 this year, which would be the biggest we've ever had. But we're not, we're not even encouraged to grow that roster from there. They're still saying 28 to 32 is, is your roster size, and you're at the absolute max. So just, just keep that in mind as you recruit for the next year. Um, yeah, it's kind of where we're at. And I like that. We used to have a JV program. We, we actually dropped that just because it was hard to find games. Um, yeah. and, and it was recruiting two teams, and it's myself and an assistant coach. So 32 is more manageable, say, than it was 46 <laughs> at one point, which seems like a lot. But I do see the rosters out there that have 70-plus, and I just don't know how that's uh, – a manageable thing maybe they've got a great system but for us that wouldn't work yeah i've seen pretty much what i've seen is a few conferences in the midwest where uh, i get more, more west than you guys but uh that tend to have that full jb yeah. development roster and they get into big uh big big numbers but but not every conference if the conference kind of hasn't come to an agreement that hey we're all going to do this then it gets mm -hmm. it definitely gets tough but uh, yeah 
<laughs> excuse me. Um, well, you mentioned you have one one assistant. Can you just give me an overview of, of your guys' style of coaching and the team style of play? Sure. We're we're both like organized detail kind of people that are also not screamers. So I don't know if that helps with the with the philosophy. We're just high expectations. Um, all the players know that they're respected and loved and cared for as people. So when we're pushing them really hard in practice, it's because we want to grow them as, as players. And we, we always tell them part of our job is to make you feel un uncomfortable with the amount of work that you're having to do so that you're very, very tired. And when you get really tired, you make mistakes and making those mistakes in practice is better than in games. And it gives us a chance to correct. Uh, we also have a pretty extensive playbook. We, typically play 4-3-3, so I'm actually not giving anything away. Probably anybody that's ever played against us knows that. But every player knows what they're supposed to do in each third of the field, whether it's on offense or defense. And hopefully they also learn what all the players around them are supposed to be doing so that we have more flow for our team. And then with that, in the spring, we do a lot of individual training to make them better players, whereas the fall is much more directed at making a better team kind of thing because in the fall you're always preparing for the next game in the spring it's like well how do I make my two center backs a better partnership for the next season so that's kind of what we do um, we also like to photograph the practice and send it to the captains so that they can manage expectations for what's going to be happening on any, any given day and we just believe in sharing as much information with the team as possible making it an educational experience and not just an athletic experience for them yeah, so are you guys videotaping practices and games? Or are you using any other kind of technology or anything else like that to, to help the players? We occasionally videotape practices. Um, that depends on how available my manager is in, in the spring. In the fall, where they're around all the time, it's just an expectation that we'll videotape something, whether it's part of practice or um, videotape what the bench is doing at any given point, just different things to, to show different looks to them. We do use Instat for video analysis, and we've, we found that to be pretty helpful. What we like about it is that the players can receive their clips, and then each player gets a game report. So if it, usually it's if they play like seven to ten minutes, they get a report, and if it's less than that, usually you get a not enough time or not enough touches kind of thing for them. But we found that helpful. Um, the weird thing about using any video analysis is that players start to think about their stats and sometimes they play like, oh, I was only, I was only 75% effective passing last game. I'm going to be a hundred percent because I'm going to pass everything backwards. <laughs> and then they get a really good percentage and then they don't understand like why we're upset that it was very ineffective play. So yeah, if it's another one of those things you have to manage their expectations about this is a tool to help you grow, not a tool to make your numbers look better. But yeah. For sure. Well, you, you mentioned spring and, and obviously we're mm -hmm. talking in spring. What does your offseason typically look like uh, just in terms of what all the players are doing and how much of it? Yeah, spring is very different. It's, it's also lighter. We're, we're allowed 24 weeks in a, in a school year. And so typically in the fall, we use somewhere between 12 and 14 weeks. So right now, we decided that with the weather here and with lacrosse using one of the fields in the spring, we were going to be outdoors in March and April and wrap the season up that first day or two of May. So we're looking at about seven full weeks because there's the spring break week in there. 
And in that time, we go Monday through Thursday, give them Fridays off in the spring because we can't miss any class time for things. So any games that we would do would always be on a Saturday in the spring. And typically we cut the practices to an hour and a half, but they still work to lift. So a couple of days a week, we're doing an hour of practice and an hour of lifting on the same day. And they're pretty much back to back, like go to practice, hit the gym or go lift and we'll scrimmage a little bit afterwards. But it's, it's much lighter. It's, it's also very individual directed, as we mentioned earlier. So there may be, there may be a practice like at 10 o'clock in the morning because all my forwards are free, but they won't come to the afternoon sessions. We'll do a shooting session in the morning and we might only have 10 people in the afternoon and we'll work on possession or rondos or something like that. So they like it. They get a lot of touches. And because of that, we can be much more efficient with time because you can do a lot with 10 people in 45 minutes. And sometimes it feels you can get more done there than in two hours with 30 people in the fall where it's, it's still two coaches. And so we're trying to organize and use space efficiently. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we've talked about a lot of different facets of this thing, but yeah. uh, the the last question I want to leave you with, and, and, you know, I'm trying to give as much insights to folks as possible. So if you can give me, what is the, the one piece of information, the one nugget that you want to make sure every parent of a high school age player, every player understands about the college recruiting process, something that, that you want to hit home for them so that they make sure they understand it. Oh, wow. That's, that's tough to put into a sentence or two. Um, are you talking <laughs> like Taylor recruiting or just like the whole process for parents out there? Just, just the whole process. I know there's okay. a lot of misconceptions, you know, about uh, on so many levels in terms right. of the, the right. Divisions, how someone gets recruited, scholarship, anything in general. I know you you run into a lot sure. of recruits. I've talked to a lot of folks. So what is it that if you could communicate one piece of information uh, to somebody, if they're listening, what would that be? Well, for us, besides all the like the, the filters with, with academics and, and spiritual fit and a relationship with Jesus, take that out of the equation. Just say general college coaches are also human beings and want to recruit people that want to be there and play for them. So when we're recruiting someone, I tell them, and in the NAI, you can text and I can respond back to you and things like that. So I think that's actually different than division one, where you have that once a week kind of contact rule. But if you want me to stay interested in you, it's okay to say, hey coach, we played this weekend, we won one to nothing. I, I just know that you're putting yourself back in front of me and have some interest in saying in communication. Whereas if in a typical year, if, if our numbers start with like possibly three to 500 people that have made some contact with us that we're going to reply to and contact and, and try to make it manageable really quick, if someone hasn't responded to something in a year and then just starts contacting us, say, fall of their senior year, we're probably done already and have missed them. And I know players don't want to be missed and we don't want to miss them either. So for us, just staying in touch and being friendly and polite, because that's what we'd expect you to be when you're here. And we want to be friendly and polite with you. Just that, that cordial relationship for us is, is really important. And I think if parents aren't finding that with a coach that's recruiting them, I don't know if that person is really recruiting them or if it's also the kind of environment they might want to send their kid to, if it's always rude and terse and stuff. I, to me, it's just very unappealing. So stay in contact, be out there and, and, and be friendly and 
we'd love to recruit people like that. I love it. Well, coach, really appreciate your time. Wish you the best of luck. Uh, if you, if, if any of those long distance recruiting trips end up in Bradenton uh, for any of the events down here, give me a shout and we'll definitely hang out. All right. Thanks, Matthew. We actually have a, a girl coming from the Orlando area next year. So her name is Sydney Reddy, but one of those that her mom played at Taylor too. So who knows? We may break into that Florida market yet. That'd be great. Love to see you. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Take care, coach. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.